0: Today's sutta is one of my very favorites. It is a discourse that was given to Prince Pāyasi, Pāyasi sutta or suttanta. This is a unique sutta and it comes from the long discourses, the diga Nikaya. It is oftentimes a challenge because it's a long sutta. However, I'm going to try my very best to finish it in uh, one day. So I will try and offer as little commentary as possible. And given the nature of this particular sutta, it does not need as much commentary as uh, per se uh, the other the other suttas, some of the other suttas that we've covered thus far, because it is very uh, there's some casual interchange, uh, the communication that goes on between venerable Kumara Kassapa and uh, Prince Payasi. But the language is so, Fresh, that it makes one feel like it's happening today. And we're just sitting there and witnessing this conversation going on. And the nature of it is very human. It's very, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have that extra um, needing to unravel type of um, uh, material or text. This is a wonderful sutta because it allows us, sometimes when we find ourselves in a position where we have to talk about, let's say, kamma or rebirth, or is there another world besides this one? Is there an afterlife? What happens when we die, after we die? And uh, this is just the perfect sutta for that. Uh, When someone in your life, is insisting that there isn't anything beyond this world, have them listen to this or read this sutta. And um, so I hope you see why it's, uh, well, you'll, you'll discover why as, as, as you listen and, and uh, to it and find out how juicy the material here is um, and how wise Venerable Kumara sapa was and Arahant And if you remember, we have covered Vammika Sutta uh, several months ago, uh, in fact last year, um, the simile of the anthill. It was Kumara Kassapa who had been addressed with this riddle. And he takes that riddle to Lord Buddha to unravel it for him. It was given to him by a deity, a Deva, who asked those sets of questions so it is the same venerable kumara Kasapa. and um, so without per- further ado so uh, let's jump dive <laughs> right in um, this is diga nikaya number 23 from the long discourse discourses prince payasi this is what i personally heard at one time, the Venerable Kumarakasapa was traveling in the Kosalan country together with a large Sangha of bhikkhus, numbering about 500, as he reached the Kosalan city named Setavya. There, the Venerable Kumarakasapa stayed to the north of Setavya in the Singsapa tree grove or forest. Now, at that time, the Prince Payasi, the ruler of Setavya, was residing there as well having been given this property by King Pasenadi of Kosala as a royal gift. Setavya was a fertile and well-populated region teeming with life, with vast grasslands and forests, with abundant water and grain. By the way, King Pasenadi was the most powerful king that we know of, uh, contemporary of Lord Buddha at the time. We of course have King Bimbisara, and who eventually was murdered by, um, the death was caused by, primarily by his son, Ajatasattu. But King Pasenadi is the most powerful with the biggest army, biggest region. And the fact that this was a fertile and well taken care of land teeming with life means that he was in a desolate land. So he must have had a special place, Prince Payasi in the heart of King Pasenadi, So he must have liked him to have given him such a wealthy and prosperous region to take care of and to be its governor or Lord or Prince in this case. It was then that Prince Payasi had developed an evil view about the world, whereby he wrongly concluded that aside from this life, there is none. Beings are not reborn immediately, nor reappear into other realms without any parents. There are neither consequences nor fruits of good and bad actions. So right from the top, he just says, there is no life. This is it. Uh, whatever you see, whatever you experience, when you close your eyes for the last time, that's it, lights out, and you go into oblivion. Um So that is primarily the atheistic view or many secular Buddhists or secular, I don't want to even call them that, secular Buddhists. So secularists um, have uh, that position. Um, And uh, the other one is, beings are not reborn immediately nor reappear into other realms without any parents. Whether it is rebirth into the lower realms, especially in the hell realms or Peta realms, and deva realms in these two regions uh, general regions if you will there uh, there is no need for mother and father basically for the mother to become pregnant with a child so that the person would be born in the case of the devas for example it's a sudden immediate reappearance and yes, there are families, but there's nobody getting pregnant or anything like that. And uh, as and it it changes. It's as you go higher and higher away from the kama loka, the sensual realm. Many of the things that we take for granted or or see that this is the norm for life to occur, it's obsolete. So he's saying there's no such thing. There is no immediate rebirth, whether in hell or, first of all, he doesn't even believe in hell or into the devil realms. This is it. And the most damaging part of his wrong belief is that he doesn't believe in consequences of kamma. When a person doesn't have, well, when a person has that evil, we call it evil because... The person can has the potential of doing much harm, both to themselves and to others. Sooner or later, they will do either one of these, if not both. So it's very dangerous when we eliminate the kamma, the role of kamma, our actions, intentional actions, and what they bring to us. So he's saying, I flat out I don't believe in any of these things. Then the brahmins and householders of Setavya. the news that the ascetic prince Kassapa, a disciple of the ascetic Gautama, is currently traveling in the Kosalan country together with a large sangha of bhikkhus numbering about 500. So if you recall uh, Kumara Kassapa was taken in into the royal court and he was at a very young age because um, he was pretty much an orphan basically and he was raised in the royal court for about seven years. So he was treated as a prince. That's why they referred sometimes to Venerable Kumara Kassapa, those who weren't his students as Prince Kassapa. So that's the reference there. So having reached their coast the city of Setavia and how, uh, how there the Venerable Kumara Kassapa is staying to the north of Setavia in the Singsapa tree forest. Furthermore, they considered, now a good report has spread about the Venerable Kumara Kasapa, that he is wise, learned, intelligent, and a versatile speaker, someone who is eloquent and has a good understanding of the Dhamma, being an elder and an arahat. Thus, it is indeed a great fortune to encounter arahants like him. Then the Brahmins and householders of Setavya Began heading out towards the Sinsapa tree grove by the north gate of the city as they traveled in groups rep- representing each district. So, this must have been quite uh, a group moving out of the city of, uh, towards uh, the grove, Sinsapa Grove. Uh, Now, at that time, Prince Payasi had gone to the upper floor of his terraced longhouse to take his afternoon rest. And on seeing from above how the Brahmins and householders of Setavya were heading north, uh, he asked his steward, Steward, why are these people of Setavya heading out in groups like this towards the Singsapa tree grove? And the steward replied by saying that he had heard about the matter. That is the ascetic Prince Kassapa, a disciple of the ascetic Gautama is currently, and it repeats, um, so he's saying that they're going to meet with Venerable Kumara Kassapa and how um, he's an Arahant and it's a good fortune to encounter Arahants like him. And then this, uh, then good steward responded Prince Payasi, go to the Brahmins and householders of Setavya and say to them, Lord Paiasi, sirs, would like you to wait, for he too will join you in going to see the ascetic prince Kassapa. Now go, tell them this, my good steward, before that boy Kassapa quickly convinces them by winning over those foolish and unfit Brahmins and householders of Setavya, as he persuades them that, aside from this life, there is an afterlife, where beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without any parents, and that there are consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Because my good steward, none of these three things I mentioned do exist." So uh, this is the theme that you will definitely see throughout. His staunch obstinacy, his, his arrogance is like, no, they are wrong, I am right and how strongly he will defend that position it's quite interesting uh yes sir said the steward as he went to the brahmins and householders and relayed his master's message shortly after prince payasi the ruler of Saitavya, accompanied by the brahmins and householders of Saitavya, went to the singhsapa tree grove where he approached the venerable kassapa and after exchanging greetings and expressions of politeness and courtesy took his seat to one side. This was followed by the Brahmins and the householders of Setavya, where some bowed before the Venerable Kassapa and took their seats to one side, while others simply exchanged greetings and expressions of politeness and courtesy, and then took their seats to one side. Some saluted him with joint palms at the heart and took their seats to one side. Still others simply called out their individual and clan names and sat to one side. And yet others among them simply took their seats to one side while keeping silent. So you have this uh, structure of a paragraph, uh, a description of an event uh, where a group of uh, people approach, whether it's Lord Buddha or any of his chief disciples or one of his arahants. And you have basically a gradation, a spectrum of uh, offering homage or acknowledging. So what this is saying also to us, I'm sure you gathered, how you had a differences, uh, a set of differences in opinion or appreciation of this person that we're going to see you like to see him because you have a tremendous faith in him, fine, I get it, but I have to accompany you because I'm just curious to hear what this person has to say, etc. So you had this, you know, palette of differences in um, respect, rendering of respect, homage giving, and um, so forth. So in this group as well. Once these courtesies were finished and everyone was seated, Prince Payasi addressed the Venerable Kumara Kassapa and said, Master Kassapa, I hold this view, and being of the opinion that aside from this life, there is none. That's it. Beings are not reborn immediately, nor reappear into other realms without any parents. There are neither consequences for nor fruits of good and bad actions. And the Venerable Kumara Kassapa replied, Prince, I have neither seen nor heard of any person holding such a view or being of such an opinion, for how can anyone truly declare as you do, that aside from this life there is none, beings are not reborn immediately nor reappear into other realms without any parents, there are neither consequences nor fruits of good and bad actions. However, Prince, I will cross-question you on this, and you may reply in whatever way you like. This is, the sutta is replete, is full of similes. It's a, it's a treasure trove of similes that address one after the other from different angles, using different uh, approaches to show to Prince Biasi his the errors in his view and also it shows the tremendous limitless uh, patience and perseverance and tolerance of venerable kumara kastava in uh, dealing with him as as you will see so this is the first of those similes coming up the simile about the moon and the sun excuse me what do you think prince would you say that the moon and the sun are in this world or in another world and what do you, what, and would you consider them human or divine? The moon and the sun, Master Kassapa, are to be found in another world, not in this one. And they are divine, not human. So when they say another world, the way I understand this is in reference to the distance. Because they're so far away from this world, the world of humans and animals, things that are relatable. We can benefit from the moon and the sun, they're there, but they are considered to be in an, another world, even though we see them. However, Venerable Kumarakasapa is picking on that belief that Prince Paiasi has. He sees them, but he also is saying they're in another world. And that already is a, a crack in his logic, in his argument. Then, Prince, this itself gives you the answer that aside from this life, there is an afterlife. Beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into the other realms without any parents, and there are consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Even though Master Katsapai is saying this, I still strongly believe that aside from this life, there is none. And he repeats the whole formula, which I will try to omit, because it's the same formula as I've gone over a few times already. Have you, Prince, any proof to validate this belief you have, that these things do not exist? I do, Master Kassapa. And how is that? Well, here it is, Master Kassapa. I have had friends, companions, relatives, men of the same blood as myself, who engage in killing living beings, who steal things, or engage in sexual misconduct, and are unfaithful to their spouses who lie and speak falsehood, are slanderous, abusive, with much gossiping, as they are also covetous, being malicious, with evil thoughts and intentions, consuming and engaging in different kinds of intoxicating and mind-altering substances, while holding on to wrong views. And after some time has passed, they become sick and gravely ill. Now, When I hear that there is no possibility for them to recover from their illness, I go to them and tell them, Sir, there are some practitioners and ascetics who have the understanding that all those who engage in killing living beings, who steal things, engage in sexual misconduct, are unfaithful to their spouses, who lie and speak falsehood, are slanderous, abusive, with much gossiping, living with covetousness, etc., all the way. So breaking all the five precepts, while holding on to wrong views, when their body breaks down after death, they will be reborn in a state of misery, in a bad destination, as they reappear immediately into a terrible place in the lower realms, in hell. So this is what he has heard people say about people who break precepts. So he's conveying that to these individuals in case they hadn't heard. Now, he says, if that is what will happen to you, Then, sir, please come back and somehow inform me that there is, in fact, an afterlife, where beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without any parents, and that there are, in fact, consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Now, given my relationship with you and trust in you, I will believe in your words. Therefore, anything you see and experience will be considered as though They were things I have seen and experienced myself. Now, even though they all agreed to this, this is Prince Pius, he's still talking, even though they all agreed to this, none of them has ever come back to somehow inform me, either personally or by sending any messengers in their stead, as proof that these things do exist. This is my proof that aside from this life, there is none. Well, Prince, this is Venerable Kumara Kasafa responding. Does that argument sound familiar? I've heard that before from people when I talk about rebirth and kamma. They say, well, no one's come back. You know, Houdini, I think, the magician, uh, had uh, promised that he would come back and tell his family, his loved ones in a seance, that these places or realms, other realms exist. And they say, uh, you know, obviously, he never came back. (laughs) Well, we'll see why he didn't come back. Um, So the the Venerable Kumara offers another simile here, simile of the criminal. Well, Prince, let me ask you this in turn, and you may go ahead and respond in whatever way you'd like. What do you think, Prince? Let us consider the case of someone who broke the law and was caught red-handed, a criminal, and brought to your court to face your judgment where your captains, your captains say, My lord, this criminal was caught in the act. Do hand him whatever punishment you deem is appropriate, to which you may reply. Well then, men, bind this man's arms with a strong rope, tightly behind his back. Shave his head and beard. Lead him around the city as you parade him from one main square to another, from one crossroad to another crossroad, all to the sharp beat of a harshly loud drum, until you take him out of the city through the southern gate, and there to the south of the city, at the spot for executions, you cut off his head. Your men then exclaim, yes, Lord, and proceed to carry out your orders. But in taking him to that spot where he is to be executed, Would your men sit him down and grant this criminal his wish if he were to turn to them and say, Executioners, sirs, could you please wait for me here while I go and visit my family and friends, my blood relatives in this or that village or town and then come back? Or would the executioner just go ahead and cut off his head as he tries talking his way out of his punishment? Such a wish cannot be granted, Master Kassapa. This is Venerable uh, Payasi, Prince Payasi. They would certainly just cut off his head and, you know, just go ahead and cut off his head. Indeed, Prince, yet bear in mind that we are still talking about a criminal merely within the human realm, where even here it is impossible to fathom that his human executioners would allow him to go and visit his family and friends his blood relatives in this or that village or town and then come back after having left the site of his human executioners what to say then about the likelihood for your friends and relatives once they're dead and now reborn in hell to be given permission to leave the wardens of hell simply because they have the wish let my masters the hell wardens. Please wait for me here while I go and visit my relative, Prince Paiasi, and tell him that aside from this life, there is in fact another life, an afterlife. That beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without any parents, and that there are indeed consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Therefore, Prince, this itself gives you the answer that aside from this life, there is an afterlife. And he repeats the formula. And this is Prince Pius' response. Even though Master Kastapa has given this example to demonstrate his his point, I still strongly believe that aside from this life, there is none. Have you, Prince, any proof to validate this belief you have that these things do not exist? I do, Master Kastapa. And what is that? Well, Master Kastapa, I have friends, companions, relatives, men of the same blood as myself who have restrained themselves from killing living beings, abstain from stealing things, from engaging in sexual misconduct, and are faithful to their spouses, who neither lie nor speak falsehood, are not slanderous nor abusive, without any gossiping, as they are also non-covetous, but are kind-hearted throughout, with good thoughts and intentions, without consuming or engaging any kind of intoxicating or mind-altering substances, As they live with right view. After uh, some time has passed, they become sick and gravely ill. Now, when I hear that there is no possibility for them to recover from their illness, I go to them and tell them, Sir, there are some practitioners and recluses who have the understanding that all those who have restrained themselves from killing living beings, who have abstained from stealing things, Or engaging in sexual misconduct and are faithful to their spouses, who neither lie nor speak falsehood, are not slanderous, not abusive, without any gossiping, non-covetous, but are kind-hearted throughout with good thoughts and intentions, without consuming or engaging in any kind of intoxicating or mind-altering substances as they live with right view, when their body breaks down after death, they will be reborn in a state of much happiness in a good destination, as they reappear immediately into a delightful place, in the higher realms, in the heavens. Now, if that is what will happen to you, then sir, please come back and somehow inform me that there is in fact an afterlife, where beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without any parents, and that there are in fact consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Given my relationship with you and trust in you, I will believe your words. Therefore, anything you see and experience will be considered as though they were things I have seen and experienced myself. Now, even though they all agreed to this, Venerable Kassapa, none of them has ever come back to somehow inform me, either personally or by sending any messengers in their stead, as proof that these things do exist. This is my proof that aside from this life, there is none. Beings are not reborn immediately nor reappear into other realms without any parents. There are neither consequences nor fruits of good and bad actions. Venerable Kumarakasapak offers him another simile, and this one is called the simile of the cesspit, the sewage, cesspool. Well, then, Prince. I will now offer you a simile, for many intelligent individuals can understand the deep meaning of what is being said through the use of similes. So, let us imagine there being a cesspit that is deeper than the height of an adult man, filled to the brim with feces, excrement, and a man falls and sinks into it to the point where he is fully submerged in it over his head, Then, desiring to help this person, you quickly order your men to rush and pull him out from the cesspit, and your men quickly comply and get him out. Next, you direct them to scrape off all the feces covering his body with widely split bamboo pieces, like like scrapers, and your men follow your orders as directed. Then you tell them to scrub his full body from head to toe with pale aromatic clay powder, three times over, repeatedly, and they do so. Next, you tell them to rub him with nourishing oils, and then bathe him three times further while using fine soap, and your men do as instructed. Then you direct them to trim and dress his head head hair and beard, and they do so. Next, you tell them to deck him with expensive rare flower garlands garlands, and precious fragrances and cover him with the finest of clothing. And they do so. Later, you instruct them to take him up to your palace and surround him with all the luxury and amusements that his five senses could fully enjoy and delight in. Experiencing all that one's sensual pleasures could afford a man. And they do so. Now, what do you think, Prince? Now that he is out of the cesspit, well-bathed, cleaned, anointed in fragrant oils, trimmed, shaved and combed, dressed in fine clothes, garlanded and adorned, and taken to the upper palace as he indulges in and is surrounded by so much pleasure that was once not even imaginable. But now he finds himself completely drenched in while being treated to all that the five sensual pleasures could afford. Would this man desire to leave all of this behind and go back, or go take a plunge back once more into that foul-smelling cesspit of feces and excrement? Absolutely not, Master Kassapa. And why is that? Because, Master Master Kassapa, a cesspit is disgustingly foul-smelling, dirty and awful, for it is seen by everyone that it is intolerable and simply repulsive just in the same way prince for the devas human beings are considered to be disgustingly foul smelly dirty and awful because human beings are seen by the devas as filthy and simply repulsive also bear in mind prince that the devas can smell the odor of human beings even from a distance of 700 miles And are therefore naturally disgusted by them. What to say then about the likelihood for your friends and relatives, once they're dead and now reborn in the heavens, after having done so many good deeds and now reaping those benefits in utter happiness and delight? They too would not even think of coming back to inform you that there is, in fact, an afterlife. Therefore, Prince, this itself gives you the answer that aside from this life, there is an afterlife. Beings are reborn immediately, and they reappear into other realms without parents, and there are consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Even though Master Kassapa has given this example to to demonstrate his point, I still disagree uh, and strongly believe that aside from this life, there is no afterlife, says Prince Bahiazut. Can you, Prince, prove this belief of yours to be true? I can, Master Kassapa. And just how exactly, Prince? Well, Master Kasapa, I have had friends, companions, relatives, men of the same blood as myself, who have restrained themselves from killing living beings, abstained from stealing things, etc. So he goes through all the five precepts. So they've kept all the five precepts and they live with right view. Then, after some time has passed, they become sick and gravely ill. Now, When I hear that there is no possibility for them to recover from their illness, I go to them and tell them, Sir, there are some practitioners and ascetics who have the understanding that all those who have restrained themselves from killing living beings, who have abstained from stealing things, from engaging in sexual misconduct, and are faithful to their spouses who neither lie nor speak falsehood, are not slanderous nor abusive, without any gossiping, as they are also non-covetous, but are kind-hearted throughout, with good thoughts and intentions, without consuming nor engaging in any kind of intoxicating or mind-altering substances, are going to be reborn in a happy destination, in a heavenly realm. In fact, that they will reappear in the company of the devas of the Tavating heaven, the devas of the 33. Now, having lived the kind of life that you have lived, if that is indeed what will happen to you, then, sir, please come back and somehow inform me that there is, in fact, an afterlife, where beings are reborn immediately, as they reappear into other realms without parents, and that there, is, uh, there are, in fact, consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Given my relationship with you and trust in you, I will believe your words." Therefore, anything you see and experience will be considered as though they were things I have seen and experienced myself. Now, Venerable Kassapa, even though they all agreed to this, none of them has ever come back to somehow inform me, either personally or by sending any messengers in their stead, as proof that these things do exist. This is my proof that aside from this life, there is none. Venerable Kumara Kasapa. Our uh, next simile, tavatinsa Heaven simile. Well, Prince, let me ask you this in turn, and you may go ahead and respond in whatever way you like. Humanly speaking, what we call a century, which is a hundred years, equals but one single day and night for a deva living in the Tavatinsa Heaven. Thirty of those make up a single month, and twelve of those a full year. Now. Prince, bear in mind that the lifespan of each of these Devas in the Tavatin Heaven runs in the thousands of our human years. Therefore, if one of your friends or blood relatives were to be reborn into the Tavatin Heaven, and if somehow it happens that they do remember their promise to you, they tell themselves, Well, let me first spend some time here. Not long. Just two or three days. And then I will go to our friend, Prince Piasi, and tell him that there is, in fact, an afterlife. But first, let me enjoy these heavenly five kinds of sensual pleasures and delights that this wonderful realm offers. What do you think, Prince? Would your friends and relatives come back and be able to see you or inform you about the fact that there is an afterlife? Not at all, Master Kassapa. Because by then I would have been long dead and gone. But how can I truly know for sure whether the devas of the Tavatin heaven do exist or that they have such long lifespan? Therefore, Master Kassapa, I do not believe in the afterlife. The simile of a man born blind. Uh, you saying that you do not believe in the afterlife or that the devas of the Tavatin heaven do not exist? or that they cannot have such long lifespans, is like a man who was born blind, unable to see visible objects, nor able to distinguish what is dark from the bright, nor identify them as blue, yellow, red, or brown. Someone who could not see things by looking at them to know if the ground in front of him is even or uneven, whether it is smooth or rough, Nor is he able to see the stars, or the moon, or even the sun. What you said, Prince, is equivalent to this man saying, There are no such things as dark or bright, nothing that could be called blue, yellow, red, or brown, nothing that looks even or uneven, nothing that is smooth or rough to be seen. Similarly, there are no stars, no moon, no sun, And there is nobody who can honestly declare that they can truly see these things because these things in actuality do not exist because I cannot see them. What do you think, Prince? Would this blind man be talking words that are true or smart? Of course not, Master Kassapa, because there are in fact visible objects that are dark and bright. And undoubtedly, there are those who can see and distinguish these things because, after all, these things are true, as are those who can actually see and witness them. Therefore, I do not consider it to be the same situation here, nor fair to compare me with the blind man, as I happen to see these objects for myself. Um, It's it's so beautifully, it's self-explanatory, I don't want to interrupt. Nevertheless, Prince, When you declare that you do not believe me or in the fact that there is an afterlife, you become like the blind man in this simile, denying them categorically as you do, by insisting that because you cannot see all these things, I mentioned earlier, with your physical eyes, then they simply must not exist. Prince and here's Venerable Kassapa pointing out that simply because you cannot uh, experience these things doesn't mean that others cannot. Um, it's like speaking a language. I thought people were speaking gibberish when they would speak French, supposedly French, I would think, because you know I didn't understand French when I was a child. And then when I learned how to speak French, guess what? I understood that there is a language called French. No one was doing gibberish, but it was my utter ignorance of it. So similarly, one would, you know, see how he wants to simply see them in order for him to say, "Yes, they do exist." Well, he's, here's Venerable Kumarakasapa's point, uh, evidence in fact. Prince, there are recluses and brahmins who live secluded in the wilderness dwelling in remote places, away from the crowds and their noises as they meditate with keen attention, ardently striving and maintaining a diligent practice to the point where they experience the divine eye, and by having purified it, they gain the ability to see beyond the sight of a normal human being. They are then able to see both this world and the others, as well as see how beings come and go moving around into different realms, without the need of parents. It is in this manner, Prince, that the other world is seen and witnessed for what it is, is, and not the way you imagine it, which you expect to first be seen by you through your physical eyes in order for you to believe that they do, in fact, exist. Therefore, Prince, this itself gives you The proof that aside from this life, there is, in fact, an afterlife. Beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without any parents. And there are consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. This is basically the premise of uh, the followers of scientism. Scientism, those people who call themselves scientists, but they're not actually scientists. Science believes in measuring things, in testing. It never, anybody who calls themselves uh, a scientist, uh, also uh, truly a scientist, is a person who also leaves room for all their understanding, uh, theorems, uh, laws, and everything, rules, and hypotheses to be proven wrong the next day. So there's a tremendous Uh, uh, humility there. If it is genuine science, if the person is truly practicing scientific method to the T. However, we have individuals today calling themselves scientists, but they actually are um, the other kind of, of, of believers, blind believers, and that is what we call scientism. They believe in scientism. So They ran from the rain, as my mother used to say, only to get caught up in a hailstorm. Because they never take into consideration that there needs to be testing. And these bhikkhus or these recluses that Bhante Kumarakasapa just mentioned are the exact scientists in this simile. Because they're the ones who say, okay, you're telling me that these things do not exist. I'm going to go ahead and test it. People used to tell Marco Polo in Venice, that there are individuals, there are uh, uh, people that have three legs, six legs. They have several tongues, different, uh, you know, s- eyes and tails and things on their travels that they had seen to China, something like that. And so he was very intrigued and f- frightened until he went to China and spent a considerable amount of time there. No such people were found. He was a scientist in that regard. We shun these things simply because we are looking or listening to the dominant paradigm or narratives these days. You have individuals like Sam Harris and other people like these secularists, atheists. And they, on one hand, show this selective uh, appreciation towards, uh, they call it mindfulness or Buddhism, but under parentheses with a lot of footnotes. I accept Buddhism only because as long as it doesn't have karma, or it doesn't have um, uh, rebirth in it and none of these beliefs mumbo-jumbo. Well, we're dealing with modern-day Prince payasis, nevertheless. So that is unwise. That is being foolish. These scientism followers are just fools as far as the Dhamma is concerned because they are drenched in wrong view. And I'm grateful for Lord Buddha to have and the Sasana to have brought to us this wonderfully rich sutta that directly answers today's anomalies and, and, and uh, the divisions, because you also have some bhikkhus who are uh, subscribing to this kind of uh, scientism ideologies. So I just wanted to throw that in there as a disturbing uh, fact. Uh, although it's becoming less and less, slowly. Therefore, Prince, uh, um, okay, even though Master Kassapa has given this example to prove his point, I still strongly believe that aside from this life, there is no afterlife. Have you, Prince, any evidence to support your claim? I have, Master Kassapa. And what is that? Well, Master Kassapa, I regularly meet both recluses and Brahmins who have virtuously and uh, uh, who behave virtuously, I'm sorry, and are of good character with a solid moral foundation, and who nevertheless want to continue living and therefore are not eager to die, as they shun and avoid pain as much as possible. Now, if those recluses and Brahmins actually knew for sure that a much better life awaits them somewhere beyond this world, once they leave this body and are dead, then they would just go ahead and ingest ingest poison. Or use the knife on themselves or put an end to their life by hanging or throwing themselves off a steep cliff in order to gain the happiness that they think exists beyond. So the very fact that they do not kill themselves and end their own lives clearly shows that they are unsure and even ignorant of what awaits them once this life is no more. That, then, is the reason, after all, for them to live such virtuous lives, behaving the way they do, and being of good character, with a solid moral foundation, who nevertheless want to continue living and therefore are not eager to die, as they shun and avoid pain as much as possible. So if these things exist, how come they're not killing themselves sooner so they end up going and enjoying the heavenly life? Why are they sticking around? Again, an argument that I've heard in the past from uh, people. Uh, uh, So he says, this is my evidence, Master Kastapa, to support the claim of how aside from this life, there is none. Well then, Prince, I will now offer you another simile, for many intelligent individuals can understand the deep meaning of what is being said through the use of similes. In the past, there lived a Brahmin man who had two wives, one of whom had a son, 10 or 12 years old, while the other wife was still pregnant, about to give birth. It was at that time that the Brahmin died. However, once his father had died, the Brahmin's boy turned to his father's other wife and said, Lady, whatever treasures my father possessed, whether gold, silver, or grains, all that is now mine. There is nothing whatsoever left for you here. Now turn over to me whatever it, is you, uh, whatever it is that you possess of my father that rightfully should be mine. Then the pregnant Brahmin woman replies, My dear child, you must wait a bit longer until I give birth. For if the child to be born is a boy, then one portion of the wealth will be his. But if the child is a girl, then she will be yours. This can be confusing, this last portion, because uh, be yours in that Brahmin culture, in that time period. Uh, well, in some cases, even to this day, in some parts of uh, that culture, perhaps, um, women didn't have any rights. The wealth would go to the male child. Now, when he, she says she will be yours, that means she will serve in the household not necessarily as a sister, but uh, she will eat in the household. She will uh, experience some of the luxuries, but in the capacity of a servant and um, inequity basically. So basically it's very, um, it's an unpleasant situation for a a female to be, however, it's still better than being on the streets. Uh, And that is her fear Uh, But even if she's a girl, she says she still can live in the household. So she does have some some rights. So but she will be yours to do with her as uh, so he would be responsible to marrying her off to someone else. So he would become her father, in a sense. Um, That's uh, the meaning here. But the boy continued for a second time with his harassing demands and a third time, insisting that the inheritance left by his father was to be solely his. Then, Prince, the co-widow of the Brahmin, becoming exacerbated and desperate, took a knife and went into the inner bedroom of the house and cut her belly open as she tried to find out whether the fetus was to be a boy or a girl. In this manner, as a result of her foolish and thoughtless action, this woman, in her attempt to gain financial gain, was instead ruined completely. By not only destroying her own life, but also the life of her unborn infant, along with whatever wealth that may have come to her and the child in the future. A very powerful image. Drives the point across just beautifully, sharply, as to why a bhikkhu who has gained a certain level will not, especially if they have seen with the dhamma eye, even if a person has seen, has become a sotapanna, cannot kill himself because of this no matter how painful it is, it must take place by natural means, and I have heard of bhikkhus who have committed suicide, even one happened about two years ago, um, a westerner, um, 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 and there was one very famous one in, I think in the 50s or 60s, sometime around there, who killed himself, who had mentioned to others that he was already a sotapanna. Well, nowhere do we see in the suttas that a sotapanna uh, uh, gives himself the permission that, okay, from this point on, it's going to be arahantship if I cut myself, if I use the knife. That is what Lord Buddha would call uh, using the knife with blame. It would be a blameworthy act. And this is Venerable Kumarakasapa's uh, uh, reaffirmation of that instruction that we get. So I don't consider that a a noble act, especially something that cannot come out of of a noble disciple, even one who claims himself to be Sotapanna. Because, um, um, I forgot his name, uh, Niyana something, Niyana Vira, I believe his name was. And there is a cult following of his among bhikkhus in Sri Lanka and elsewhere, um, who claim that he was, you know, all these things. If he was, wonderful. But the very fact that he cut himself put the Sangha in a very precarious position because they were struggling to understand. First of all, he was a foreigner in living in Sri Lanka. And He had committed a parajika, he had committed a defeat act, an act that causes a bhikkhu to lose the status of a bhikkhu. Killing oneself, or killing another being. That is what he had committed, but now they had to cremate him, and so there was a lot of difficulty to wrap their minds around how should we approach this. Because Sri Lanka was also, you know, treated, you know, colony in a sense, uh, had lived like a colony for a long time. So being a Westerner, a white person there among the Sri Lankan Theravadan monks, there was a lot of these other factors playing a role in this whole debacle. But the worst situation, I think, has been to create this reverberation, this ripple effect across the decades ever since then, because of this bhikkhu's action. And I've seen even Mahateras defending him and all that, and even promoting his work, even though he has had some interesting insights here and there, but not enough to justify um, him as an Arahant or even, you know, etc. So uh, I love this sutta because it seals the deal, as it were, to use a, a, a mundane, term in in the sense that we cannot speed up the process to end this life simply because we're not able to handle it uh, as a bhikkhu especially. So that is the response. Um, In a similar fashion, Prince applying a foolish and thoughtless mode of seeking which lacks wisdom while trying to find out the existence of the afterlife will instead take you straight to ruin very much like that foolish and thoughtless brahmin woman. Prince, those virtuous recluses and brahmins do not make such errors or mistakes as forcing their life force to expire or the ripening of situations when it is not yet time for them to ripen. Being wise, they instead persevere and wait for the maturity and ripening to happen without forcing anything. In addition... Those with virtuous behavior do realize the need that there still is for their life, the need that there still is for their life to be. After all, they do know that so long as they are still alive and living with purity, they can continue to have the opportunity to make merits while living and working with compassion for the benefit and welfare of the many, bringing happiness and peace into the lives of both devas and humans. I have used uh, a logic or an explanation similar to this uh, for years as a therapist in the past with individuals who would come with what we call suicidal ideation, clinical term. Uh, A person is thinking of causing self-harm or killing themselves. After listening to them carefully long, I would usually tell them this, let's put your life on the side. Do you, th- do you think that you have some abilities that you have amassed over the years? And they would, I had never had somebody would say no. At the very least they can speak their language. Let's say English. And then I would ask, are there people on the planet who would love to speak English? Perhaps children somewhere on the planet. They, the person nods and says, yes. So you're saying your end is here and you're about to exit. Yes, yes, okay. How about you go ahead and give up your life in a different way by giving it to the world. Whatever life you have left, instead of cutting it short, dedicate it, donate it, be generous with it by offering it freely. Go to some village in Vietnam, to Africa, somewhere in Aboriginal Australia, where people seek education. Perhaps a little bit more, maybe some strength to build a village, help build a hut. Dig a well. All of a sudden, the person will find meaning in their lives because that is what's missing. So a person as a recluse like the uh, a who has attained especially a level. Or even a jhana has gone deep into Upekka, for example. Despite the fact that they are under tremendous in tremendous pain they will see that there's still life in this body so let me use this let me use this which requires wisdom and it requires us to walk away from being obstinate arrogant and completely selfish completely selfish because it requires selflessness To think of that little boy in Africa who would give his day's worth of a gallon of water in the scorching sun simply to have someone teach him a sentence or two in English, which we take for granted, for example. And plus, it'll be a wonderful adventure for the person to go to Africa. So uh, just an idea to share with you. So Prince, let this then be sufficient proof for you that there is in fact an afterlife where beings are reborn immediately as they reappear into other realms without parents and that there are consequences and fruits of good and bad actions. Even though Master Kassapa has given this example to prove his point, I still strongly believe that aside from this life, there is no afterlife. Have you Prince any evidence to support this? I have Master Kassapa. And what is that exactly Prince? Well, Master Kassapa, take the example of a criminal caught red-handed and brought in front of me to be punished for his crimes. And my guards tell me, Lord, this man is a criminal caught in the act. Do hand him whatever punishment you deem is appropriate. To which I would reply, well then, put this man in a large clay jar. And while he is still breathing, put the lid on the jar and make it a tight fit, without leaving any room for air to go in or out. Excuse me. As you seal the openings with wet leather ba- binds and then cover them up with wet clay. Next, have the jar lifted and placed on a furnace and then light the fire from underneath. My men go ahead and obey, doing exactly as I commanded them. Now, once they make sure that the man, man is dead, they bring the jar back down and untie all the leather binds by removing the dried up clay as well as, uh, as we all try to carefully observe and investigate to see if perhaps we can capture a glimpse of the man's life force exiting from the clay jar. But, Master Kassapa, no such proof has ever been found coming out of the jar. This, therefore, is my evidence, Master Kassapa, to support the claim that aside from this life, there is none. Well then, Prince, I will now respond by asking you this question, and you may go ahead and answer as you please. Prince, have you ever had an afternoon siesta following a meal where you saw dreams of pleasure gardens, delightful meadows and forests that surround lovely ponds full of lotuses? I have, Master Kasapa. But during that time, Prince, Were you not also being watched over by attendant women, eunuchs, dwarves, and maidens? Yes, I was, Master Kassapa. But did any one of them see your life force entering or leaving your body while you were napping? No, they did not, Master Kassapa. So even though you're still alive but merely sleeping, your attendants, keeping a watchful eye on you, cannot see some life force leaving or entering your body. Then how could you even expect to witness the life force of a dead man leaving his body? So you see, Prince, this provides you with yet another valid evidence that there is, in fact, an afterlife. Master Kassapa, even though you are making a compelling case, I still am not convinced, for I strongly believe that aside from this life, there is no afterlife. Based on what evidence, Prince, I will now demonstrate, Master Kassapa. Go ahead, Prince. Well, Master Kassipa, take the example of a criminal caught red-handed and brought in front front of me to be punished for his crimes. And my guards tell me, Lord, this man is a criminal caught in the act, etc., etc. Do punish him as you see appropriate. Well, then, men, I say, his punishment is strangulation with a bowstring. But before you execute him, take this criminal and weigh him on the scales while he is still alive then once he is dead go ahead and weigh him again so they follow my command and do as i instruct and as a result we see how although the man was limber softer and even lighter prior to his death however after death his body becomes stiff rigid and much heavier this is how i can provide uh, prove i'm sorry to you that aside from this life there is none Well now, Prince, I will now give you another simile, for some intelligent individuals can discern the meaning of what is said by way of a simile. What you presented, Prince, sounds very similar to a case where a man heats up a ball of iron all day. And when it starts glowing, as it gets red hot, he puts it on the scale to weigh it. Much later, when the ball of iron had fully cooled and had doused, He would weigh it again. Now, when do you think the ball of iron would appear to be limber, softer, and even lighter? When it was glowing red hot or when it was cool and doused? Master Kasapa, when that ball of iron is burning and being heated up all day, glowing red hot, then it certainly will become less rigid and uh, is now limber, softer, and lighter. But When it is no longer on the fire and is cooling down and being doused, it becomes stiff, rigid, and heavier. In just the same way, Prince, when this body is being supported by the various elemental factors of life, such as vitality, internal body heat, and sense awareness, then it is limber, softer, and lighter. But when it lacks these three essential components, then it becomes stiff rigid and heavier. This simile should serve as another evidence for you, Prince, that there is in fact an afterlife. Master Kassapa, I still am not convinced, for I believe that aside from this life, there is no afterlife. On what grounds, Prince, do you make this statement? I will show you, Master Kassapa. Go ahead, Prince. Well, Master Kassapa, take the example of a criminal caught red-handed and brought in front of me to be punished for his crimes. And my guards tell me, Lord, this criminal needs to be punished, etc." To which I reply, well then, men, I want you to kill him, but without damaging his outer skin, inner skin, muscles, ligaments, sinews, bones, and even his marrow. That way, hopefully, we may get to see his life force leaving the body. And my men do as they are instructed. But nothing is seen escaping or leaving his body. Then, when he is half dead... I have my men turn him onto his back on the floor, as we carefully observe to see whether his life force might leave him. However, we still do not see a life force. Then I direct my men to bend him over, to turn him onto his right side, his left side, to have him stand upright, to have him suspended upside down. And even when I tell my men to beat the dead body with sticks, fists, stones, or swords, as well as shake and flail the body this way and that, my men and my men were doing exactly as I say. Nevertheless, no one witnesses any life force leaving the body. After all, we clearly see, though on this body there still are to be found the eyes with which to see, while there obviously being forms all around us to be witnessed, yet nothing is seen. Similarly, While there clearly are to be found ears with which to hear and sounds all around us, yet nothing is heard. With the nose too being present and intact and odors to be detected around us, still the dead body does not pick up any of it. And similarly, with the tongue that was intact, it did not become aware of any flavors or tastes. And with the body too, no touches were felt by the body. In that way also, Master Kassapa, I know for sure how aside from this life, there is none. In that case, Prince, I shall give you another simile, for it is by way of similes that some intelligent individuals discern the meaning of what is being said. There once was, Prince, a trumpeter who traveled to the outer regions of the country, taking his trumpet along with him. Reaching one such village in the borderland, he stood there in the middle of the town square and started playing his trumpet by blowing on it three times and then placed it down on the ground as he sat right next to it. Now, Prince, those villagers living in this far-off region of the country's borderland started wondering, what is this sound? So charming, so lovely, so sweet, so invigorating, so captivating, and how is it being produced? Then these people came and gathered around the trumpeter and began asking him, Sir, what is this sound, so charming, so lovely, so sweet, so invigorating, so captivating, and how is it being produced? And the man replied, This, sirs, is what people call a trumpet. Then these villagers started moving the trumpet this way and that, laying it on its side, standing it upright, turning it upside down even shaking it with their hands and hitting it with their fists with sticks stones and swords all the while yelling at the trumpet speak master trumpet speak master trumpet but shout as they did still no sound came out of the trumpet then prince the trumpeter trumpeter thought to himself truly these people of the borderland are infantile and foolish without any rational thinking They are expecting the trumpet to make sounds by hitting and shaking it. Then reaching for the trumpet, the trumpeter picked up his instrument. And as the people looked on, he started playing on his trumpet by sounding it three times. Then by taking the trumpet with him, he went on his way. Then Prince, those people of the borderland began talking to each other and concluded, It seems then, friends, that this thing called a trumpet makes a sound only when it is held by someone, together with some effort and in the presence of wind. But when there are none of these things, then it does not make any sound. In just the same way, Prince, when this body is being supported by the various elemental factors for life, such as vitality, internal bodily heat, and sense awareness, Then it is able to move here and there, able to stand up or sit down, able to see see visible forms with the eyes, hear sounds with the ears, smell odors with the nose, taste flavors with the tongue, touch objects with the body, as well as know and process thoughts or ideas. But, in the absence of those three elemental factors for life, it can no longer do any of these things mentioned. Therefore, prince, let this be your proof that there is, in fact, an afterlife? Master Kassapa. I am not convinced, because I still believe that aside from this life, there is none. On what basis, Prince, do you continue making this statement? I will show you, Master Kassapa. And how, Prince? Well, Master Kassapa, take the example of a criminal, caught red-handed and brought in front of me to be punished for his crimes. And uh, I tell my soldiers, well, then, men, I want you to cut his flesh open by skinning him. Perhaps we'll see his life force leave through there. And my men do as they are instructed, but nothing is seen escaping or leaving his body. Then when he is half dead, I have my men turn him onto his back on the floor as we carefully observe to see whether his life force might leave from there. Still, we do not see a life force. Then I direct my man to cut deeper by going into his inner skin, muscles, ligaments, sinews, bones, and even his marrow, hoping to see his life force leaving the body. Although my men do exactly as I directed them to do, nevertheless, there is no life force seen leaving the body. This is my proof, Master Kassapa on which basis I make this statement, how aside from this life, there is none. In that case, Prince, I will give you yet another simile, as it is through the use of similes that some intelligent individuals discern and understand the meaning of what is being taught. There was once, Prince, a fire-worshipping Jatila ascetic, uh, dwelling in a leaf hut in a forested area. One day, some people traveling in a caravan were passing through the area and they decided to spend the night there. And after having spent one night near the Jatila ascetic's hermitage, they all left. Then the Jatila Jatila ascetic thought to himself, now that the caravan has moved on, let me go and explore their campsite. Perhaps I may find something useful there left behind. So, having reached the abandoned campsite, to his surprise, he found a little boy, left behind, lying on its back. And he thought to himself, well, it is neither acceptable nor appropriate to stand here doing nothing, watching another human being die. Let me then take this little boy back to my kuti, take care of him, nourish him somehow, and raise him myself, for there is nobody else here Who could look after him, and he did so. Then the boy, having reached 10 or 12 years of age, the Jatila ascetic one day had something or other to do in the city. So he said to the boy, My son, I will be going to the city for some time, and I need you to keep the fire constantly burning, so never let it die out. He was a fire-worshipping ascetic, so they keep the fire constantly going, They're the matted hair uh, ascetics that you see even to this day, the sadhus in India. And if you do notice it, the fire being extinguished, here is a hatchet along with some fire sticks and the fire drill, so that even if you do let the fire out, you can still rekindle it. Having instructed the boy in this way, the Jatila ascetic went off on his journey to the city. Meanwhile, the child lost in his play let the fire die out. Then he remembered. Father told me, my son, I will be going to the city for some time, and I need you to keep the fire constantly burning. So never let it die out. So that uh, same sentence is repeated. Wondering what to do next, the boy then chopped the fire drill with the hatchet, thinking to himself, by the way, fire drill is the thing which if you don't want to use your palms to spin back and forth the stick to that is um, landed on another dry piece of wood you use this thing that looks like a bow they uh a bow string and you can tie it that that is one type of a fire drill anyhow so you would just hold the, the stick from the top and you use one hand and you go back and forth which is a valuable tool for a person who's about to start a fire so he chops that <laughs> Into pieces. Perhaps that's how I can get fire, a fire started. But seeing that this did not produce any fire, he split the hatchet into uh, two more pieces, into three, four, five, ten, a hundred pieces until he turned it into tiny splinters uh, and then pounded it in a mortar and then tossed it into the wind, thinking that by doing so, a fire could get started. But no fire was ignited. Then the Jatila, Jatila ascetic, having finished his business in the city, returned to his own hermitage. And discovering what had taken place, exclaimed to the boy, child, why did you let the fire die out? Father, the fire went out because I was too busy playing my games. Then I remembered what you had told me, and I immediately tried rekindling it. So I started chopping the fire drill with the hatchet to get to get fire, but I could not make a fire with it. But I kept trying until I had smashed the fire drill into smaller and smaller bits, and finally pounded it in a mortar and tossed it into the wind, but I was not able to start a fire. Then the Jatila thought to himself, this boy is quite foolish and stupid. How inefficient and unskillful is this boy? For how could anyone think that such a senseless act could somehow ignite a fire? So by keeping the boy close to him to observe the proper way of starting a fire, he took a bundle of dry fire sticks and by rubbing them against each other, made a fire as he showed the boy. This is the way to make fire, my son, not the foolish and stupid manner with which you tried making it. In the same way, Prince, you are resorting to foolish and stupid means of trying to prove to yourself that the afterlife does not exist. So enough of this, prince. Give up already this evil and harmful wrong view. Just give it up and stop creating such enormous suffering and pain for yourself for many years to come as a result of holding on to these wrong views. Even though Master Kassapa explained this, I still cannot bring myself to renounce this evil and harmful wrong view. For King Pasenadi of Kosala, as well as other kings from different lands, All know me as someone who staunchly and obstinately holds on to the opinion and the conviction that aside from this life, there is none. Beings are not reborn immediately, nor reappear into other realms without parents. There are neither consequences nor fruits of good and bad actions. After all, if I, Master Kassapa, renounce these views, people will then say of me, How foolish is Prince Payasi? How stupid! That he should continue grabbing and holding on to something even though he knows it to be wrong and evil therefore it is out of spite and contempt that i will keep holding on to it it is a matter of self-respect well then prince i will give you a simile for this for it is through the means of a simile that some intelligent individuals can discern the meaning of what has been said Once upon a time, Prince, a massive caravan of a thousand carts was traveling from the eastern side of the country to the west. Now it so happened that wherever the caravan went, they would quickly consume whatever grass, firewood, water, and all available greenery that was to be found around them. Leading this caravan were two leaders each commanding and responsible for 500 of the carts, with their animals and humans manning the oxen. Realizing the problem they were facing, the two caravan leaders had this idea. This is a massive caravan made up of 1,000 carts, which means that wherever we go, we consume everything. What if we were to divide this caravan into two, with 500 carts in each as we continue on this journey separately? and they agreed to do so. So by dividing the massive caravan into two equal sections, one of the leaders collected his lar- a share of large quantity of grass, firewood, and water, and continued to the next leg of, the, of their journey with his carts and group of fellow travelers. On the second or third day, having already been quite separated from the other leader and his group, This caravan leader saw a dark-skinned man with red eyes coming towards him from the opposite direction, armed with a quiver, wearing a garland of lotuses around his neck, with all his clothing and hair drenching wet, with donkeys pulling his chariot, which had its wheels all splashed with wet mud. On seeing this man, the caravan leader cried out, where do you come from, sir? Where are you headed? I come from such a region and am traveling to such a region, said the being. But sir, has there really been an abundant rainfall recently in the arid region where you come from? Because he was headed from the desert. So they were in a deserty arid land. Oh yes, indeed, sir. There has been much abundant rainfall recently where I I am traveling from. So much so that the traveling paths are all covered with fresh green grass, wood, and water wherever you turn to look. So don't worry about lack in supplies, sir. Throw away the grass, firewood, and water you have been burdening yourself with. That way, by traveling light, you will go much faster and reach your destination sooner and without tiring your animals and men. So throw away all your provisions. Then this caravan leader turned to his men, driving his carts, and informed them of what the dark-skinned man with red eyes had told him. And just as he was told, he instructed his men to throw away all their provisions of grass, firewood, and water, as they would not be needing them further up the road. Plus, they would be traveling light and with speed. So be it, sir, his men replied and they did as instructed. But after a full day's journey to their first caravan rest stop, they neither came across any grass, nor firewood, nor water, and similarly on their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and even seventh rest stop. Thus the caravan with its animals and men with their 500 carts traveling without any provisions after so many days and nights, thirsty and hungry, all perished and died in the dry and parched desert. Meanwhile, the cunning Yakka, whom they had met a week earlier, rushed in and devoured all, both the animals and the men of the caravan, leaving nothing of their bodies except their dry bones. Meanwhile, the second caravan leader, thinking that his companion, the other caravan leader, must already be well underway on his journey with his 500 carts, also took with him a large quantity of grass, firewood and water and set off on his way behind his fellow leader. A few days into his journey, this caravan leader too saw that same dark-skinned Yucca with red eyes coming towards him from the opposite direction armed with a quiver, wearing a garland of lotuses around his neck, with all his clothing and hair drenching wet, driving a chariot drawn by donkeys, with its wheels splashed with wet mud. On seeing this man, the caravan leader cried out, Where do you come from, sir? Where are you headed? I come from such a region and am traveling to such a region. But, sir— Has there been an abundant rainfall recently in the arid region where you come from? Oh, yes, indeed, sir. There has been much abundant rainfall recently in that region where I was. So much so that the traveling paths are all covered with fresh green grass, wood, and water, wherever you turn to look. So don't worry about lack in supplies, sir. Throw away the grass, firewood, and water you have been burdening yourself with. That way, by traveling light, you will go much faster and reach your destination sooner and without tiring your animals and men. Then this caravan leader turned to his men, who were guiding his carts and told them what the dark-skinned man with red eyes had told them, and how he had encouraged them to throw away all their provisions of grass, firewood, and water, as they would not be needing them further on the road. Plus, they would be traveling light and with speed. Furthermore, the caravan leader added, However, friends, this man is not someone whom we know. Therefore, he is to be considered neither a friend nor a blood relative. And as such, he cannot be fully trusted. So, we are not going to throw away our valuable grass, firewood and water as we continue on this journey through the desert with our carts full of the necessary provisions. So be it, sir, the men replied in agreement with their caravan leader, and they continued on their journey with their carts full of provisions as before. And while traveling through the successive caravan rest stops, they neither saw any grass, nor firewood, nor water. But at the seventh rest stop, they came across the other caravan that had come to destruction and they saw what was left of the caravan were the dried skeletons of the animals and the men with 500 carts all devoured by that cunning yakka in the same way prince your foolishness and stupidity is not lis- listening to reason in not listening to reason as you keep trying to prove to yourself that the afterlife does not exist will only lead you to much ruin just like that first caravan leader. So enough of this, Prince. Give up already this evil and harmful wrong view. Just give it up, and stop creating much uh, such enormous suffering and pain for yourself for many years to come as a result of holding on to these wrong views. And Prince Payasi uh, repeats that he cannot uh, renounce it because it's a matter of pride, etc and uh, therefore it is out of spite and contempt that I will keep holding on to it and then uh, venerable Kastapa responds again with a new simile well then prince I will now give you another simile for it is through the use of similes that some intelligent individuals discern the meaning of what has been said once upon a time prince there was a swineherd, pig farmer who was traveling from his own village to another village when he saw a heap of dry cow dung that was discarded. He then thought to himself, what a large quantity of dry dung that's been thrown away, which fortunately for me, I can take to my pigs and have them feed on it. Perhaps I can just carry it away myself. So by taking off his upper robe and spreading it out out on the ground, the swineherd began collecting the dry dung into it, tied it into a, a bundle Lifted and placed it over his head and went on his way. Suddenly it began to rain, and soon it turned into a heavy downpour, unusual for that season. And the man became drenched and completely covered with muck, all the way to the tips of his nails, covered in cow dung, dipping and oozing with dung. But he kept walking unaffected as he went on his way, still carrying the burden of dung over his head dripping all over all the way down to his feet people seeing him on the main road began shouting and yelling at him you sir you must be stark mad are you out of your mind have you lost your senses carrying all that filth dripping down to your fingertips with oozing dung but the swineherd kept on retorting to all these people It is you who are mad, you that are out of your minds, not realizing that with this precious bundle, my pigs will get fed. In just the same manner, prince, in hearing you talk like this, you sound very much like that swineherd carrying his precious load of dripping cow dung over his head. So enough of this, prince. Give up already this evil and harmful wrong view. Just give it up. Stop creating such enormous suffering and pain for yourself for many years to come as a result of holding on to these wrong views. And you guessed it, Prince Pius, continues saying, no, I can't give it up because it's a matter of self-respect. Well then, Prince, I will give you yet another simile, for it is through the means of a simile that some intelligent individuals can discern the meaning of what is being said. Once upon a time, Prince, there were two gamblers playing with dice. One of the two, whenever he had a losing throw in the game, would quickly swallow the dice, claiming it was a draw and that his turn did not count. Now, the other gambler, on seeing his opponent's deceit, pretended, pretended not to have seen the cheating going on and instead made him think that his opponent had won. Next. While asking for the dice back for a moment, the second gambler proposed how it would be a good idea in order to improve their chances of success for both gamblers to make an offering before the next game, to bless the game. The cheating gambler handed over the dice in agreement. Then the second gambler taking the dice began secretly smearing poison over them and gave them back to the other player encouraging him to have a go at yet another game of dice, to which the other gambler quickly consented. Again they played, and again the opponent gambler swallowed the dice after a losing throw. But this time he fell to the ground, dying slowly in convulsions. And the second gambler looked on as he stood on top of him, saying these bitter words. The clueless fool swallowed the dice, not knowing it was smeared all over with sharply burning poison. Swallow it then, you cheating gambler. Swallow it, you deceiver. Go ahead and taste the bitter fruit that you deserve. In just the same manner, Prince, you sound very much like that that deceitful gambler in the simile. So enough, Prince, give up already this evil and harmful wrong view. And Prince doesn't give up. And uh, the compassionate and patient Venerable Kassapa, Kumara Kassapa offers him yet another simile. Well then, Prince, I will give you yet another simile for it is through the means of simile that some intelligent individuals can discern the meaning. Once upon a time, Prince, there was a town where its people were suddenly forced to evacuate and leave their homes never to return and a man knowing of this told his friend come good friend let us go to that town and perhaps we can come across some treasures left behind his friend agreed and soon both were on their way to that town with no inhabitants once there they saw how on one of the streets there was a pile of hemp lying around abandoned and left behind then one of them said to the other here is a pile of hemp why don't we make for uh, why don't we make for ourselves bundles out of this pile of hemp and carry them off with us the other consented and they both did did as we as was suggested carrying their individual bundles with them the two friends continued exploring through the vacant streets and alleyways of the town until they saw a large amount of hemp thread that was cast aside and one of them said to the other, hemp thread is what you make out of the hemp. So it's processed. It takes a lot more work to get the hemp thread, the string, out of the hemp plant. So they have that now. So one of them said to the other, this large amount of hemp thread thrown away is exactly what we wanted the hemp for in the first place. So friend, you throw away your bundles of hemp, I'll throw away mine, and will each take away a load of hemp thread instead. His friend, however, said, no friend, I've already carried this load of hemp a long way. Plus it is nicely tied up and bundled together. I'm quite satisfied with the hemp I'm carrying. So if you want to, you can put yours down and pick up the loads of hemp thread instead. And his friend discarded his, ha- uh, his own bundle of hemp and picked up the load of hemp thread instead. Continuing on further through the streets, they came to another area of the town where they saw a large pile of hemp fabric. So whatever has been processed with the thread turned into an actual fabric that you could use, that's what they found. And the one carrying the load of hemp thread said excitedly to the other. Uh, Why don't we put our stuff down and we take the fabric away? So I'm paraphrasing so we can move faster. Uh, But his friend said, you go ahead, throw yours down, but I'm going to continue carrying the hemp that we picked up first, because it's nicely, you know, tucked over my head. So I don't want to go through all that trouble of dismantling And this. You take the hemp fabric instead, and let's move on. His friend, uh, so they move to another street where they saw a large pile of flax. And further up the road, they saw piles of linen thread. And then loads of linen cloth all abandoned and free for the taking so much refined much nicer material and at each one of these stops the man made the plea to his friend for them to change their carrying load for something of a higher value while his friend obstinately continued to refuse and chose to retain his bundles of hemp over his head instead Going further on their expedition, the two men saw large amounts of cotton, cotton thread and fabrics made out of linen cloth. And the, um, and the same thing happened at each stop where the other friend kept putting down his previous load of material he had carried, replacing them with the newly found, or uh, okay, I just read that. Moving on further, they came across large pieces of iron, copper, tin, lead, and silver until they reached a place where they found many quantities of gold left behind and free for the taking. And similarly, as before, the one friend urged his companion to replace his carrying load for something of a higher value, but his friend continued to obstinately refuse and chose to retain his bundles of hemp instead. Meanwhile, his friend abandoned his own load of silver, because he was upping his, you know, quality of whatever he was carrying, that he had already collected and instead replaced it with the large quantities of gold he had just found finally both men returned to their own village where one was carrying with him bundles of hemp while the other gold there the man who brought bundles of hemp pleased neither his parents nor his own family nor his friends and as a result experienced neither pleasure nor contentment nor happiness but the other man With his load of gold, pleased his parents, his own family, his friends, and as a result, experienced much pleasure, contentment, and happiness. In just the same manner, Prince, you sound very much like that obstinate friend among the two in this simile. So enough of this, Prince. Give up already this evil and harmful wrong view. Just give it up. And stop creating such enormous suffering and pain for yourself for many years to come as a result of holding on to these wrong views. Then Prince Payas he said. The very first simile, offered by Master Kastapa was already enough in pleasing my heart, for I found myself both delighted and inspired by it. By it. But, in my eagerness to hear more, I feigned opposition by challenging him with new problems, so that Master Kassapa may grant me more ways of seeing through the delusion of my original opinions and convictions. It is excellent, Master Kassapa. It is marvelous, Bante. Master Kassapa has made the Dhamma clear to me in many ways. I feel as though Master Kassapa has turned upright what was overturned, revealing what was hidden, showing the correct path to someone who was lost, as though one were to bring a lamp into the darkness for all those with eyesight to see. Bhante, I go for refuge to the Blessed One Gautama, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of Bhikkhus. May Master Kastapa accept me as one of his lay disciples, who has taken refuge in him as my teacher from today until the end of my life. Master Kastapa, I want to make a great sacrifice, May I be instructed by Master now on how to go about making a sacrifice that can bring me a long life with lasting joy and happiness. Any kind of offering Prince, where oxen, cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, chicken, or any other animals are sacrificed or butchered is neither a wholesome one, nor does it bring fruits that are beneficial, nor is it splendid, nor it leads to prosperity. Similarly, an offering where the recipients possess wrong views, wrong intention, wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, and wrong collectedness of mind, also is neither considered to be a wholesome one, nor does it bring fruits that are beneficial, nor is it splendid, nor does it lead to prosperity. Prince, it is just as if a farmer were to enter a forest while taking along with him his plow and some seeds. And there, in an untilled and uncultivated barren area, strewn with stumps of trees that are still in the ground, he starts sowing the seeds he carries that are unhealthy, badly damaged, damaged, spoiled, and infertile. The skies also do not provide him with enough rain for the possibility of their growth. Now, would those seeds have a chance to grow, increase, or even reach maturity so that the farmer would get abundant returns from his crops? He would not indeed master customer. In the same manner, Prince, any kind of offering where oxen uh, and all animals are being butchered, he says, it does not produce uh, wholesome, um, it, does, it is not a wholesome offering. Similarly with someone who's a receiving Um, an offering that uh, I'll just read it similarly an offering where the recipients possess wrong views wrong intention wrong speech wrong action wrong livelihood wrong effort wrong mindfulness and wrong collectedness of mind also is neither considered to be a wholesome one nor does it bring fruits that are beneficial nor is it splendid nor does it lead to prosperity on the other hand Prince Any kind of offering where oxen, cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, chicken, or any other animals are not sacrificed, nor butchered, is considered to be a wholesome one, for it does bring fruits that are beneficial, as it is splendid and leads to much prosperity. Similarly, an offering where the recipients possess the right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right collectedness of mind also is considered to be a wholesome one. For it does bring fruits that are beneficial, as it is splendid and leads to much prosperity. Prince, it is just as if a farmer were to enter a forest while taking along with him his plow and some seeds. And there, in a tilled and cultivated fertile spot of land, empty of stumps of trees, he starts sowing the the seeds he carries that are healthy, undamaged, pure, and fertile. The skies also do provide him with enough rain for the possibility of their growth. Now, would those seeds have a chance to grow, increase, or even reach maturity, so that the farmer would get abundant returns from his crops? He would indeed master customer. In the same manner, Prince, and he repeats that same uh, portion about what does make uh, a wholesome offering. Then uh, Prince, um, so um, yeah, so um, as to what brings prosperity, which is not to kill any animals and to make the offering to those individuals who do have right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right collectiveness of mind, which makes the offering truly uh, splendid and beneficial um, to the highest level and make the giver truly prosperous. Then Prince Pius, he began offering gifts to recluses and Brahmins. So he goes back to his palace and starts making offerings. He makes offerings to recluses and Brahmins, the poor, the homeless, traveling beggars, and all those in need. However, the offerings he made included food that was prepared with rough gruel, that with stale and fermenting vegetables and fruits, along with coarse robes with rough and damaged fringes as gifts to those in need of clothes. So basically, if uh, you go to rural areas in uh, parts of India, Sri Lanka, other places like that, where they don't have refrigerator, and they didn't have refrigerators in those days. So sometimes the food is left over. The servants don't eat it, there's too much food. So the vegetables, especially given the heat, uh, it becomes stale obviously, but they start already fermenting at a very fast rate. And um, so it wasn't good quality uh, food that he was offering, nor were the clothing being offered of good quality. Now the person who was placed in charge of overseeing these offerings was a young Brahmin by the name of Uttara. Every time Uttara gave one of these gifts to recipients, he kept saying, with this offering, may my connection with Prince Pahayasi only extend as far as this world, but not beyond to the next one. So he's saying, may I not have anything to do with this offering being made, because this is just, you know, bad kamma. Eventually, the prince came to hear about the young Brahmin's words, and he summoned him to his court and asked, is it true, Uttara, that every time you give one of my gifts to recipients, you keep saying the words, with this offering, may my connection with Prince Pai, only extend as far as this world, but not beyond to the next one? Yes, sir, replied Uttara, the young Brahmin. But why, Uttara, do you say such words? After all, when making offerings, are we not expected to seek to seek merits for the resulting fruits of our generosity? So he's saying, is it bad for us to expect something in return for making these offerings? And this is Uttara's Uttara's response. Sir, the gifts of food you are having us donate to recipients is prepared with rough gruel, with stale and fermenting vegetables and fruits, food that you would not even want to touch with your foot, let alone eat it yourself. Also, the robes made with coarse material and rough and damaged fringes we are giving away to the poor and needy as clothing are of the type of material that you would not even think of using as rags to wipe your palace floors with, let alone want to wear them yourself. Prince, you are very dear to my heart and I cherish having you as my lord, But how can I reconcile what is dear and beloved to me with what is ugly and deplorable? Wow, what a give and take. What honest response. How so much humanity here. Well then, exclaimed Prince Payasi, my dear Uttara, from now on, see to it that only food that I enjoy eating and clothing that I enjoy wearing are offered to those in need. Very good, sir, joyfully replied Uttara, and did as he was instructed. In this way, Prince Piasi continued offering gifts, but he did so neither through engaging in the act of giving himself by offering the gifts with his own hands, nor in offering them with the purity of intention, but did so thoughtlessly and without consideration, as he sought the gains from giving away things which he knew in his heart he did not care for nor valued himself giving so-called gifts that were, that were to be discarded. And when the time came and his body broke down after death, he was reborn into the company of the four great kings in the empty mansion a mansion of the Acacias. Meanwhile, the Brahmin youth Uttara, who had objected to Prince Payasi for making offerings of refuse food, excuse me, and unusable clothing, And had challenged the donor's position of heart in making gifts to the needy, having instead offered choice food and clothing to the people with his own hands, thoughtfully and with the purity of intention in his heart, when the time came and his body broke down after death, Uttara was reborn into the bright and happy world in the company of the 33 gods in the Tavatinsa heaven. During that time, the Venerable Gavampati used to frequently go for his afternoon meditation to the empty mansion of the Acacia in the realm of the four great kings. So he had the ability to uh, travel. Um, he had that ability of psychic powers. So he would go just to hang out for a siesta and do quiet meditation in the realm of the four great kings. There, uh, uh, there payasi, now one of the devas of that realm, approached him. And after paying homage to him, stood to one side, seeing him standing thus, the Venerable Gavampati, he's a different bhikkhu, it's not Venerable kumar of course, uh, Venerable Gavampati asked, and who might you be, friend? I, sir, was known as Prince Payasi. Weren't you once of the firm conviction that aside from this life, there is none, beings are not reborn immediately, nor reappear into other realms without parents? and that there are neither consequences nor fruits of good and bad actions? Yes, Pante, I was indeed, replied the Deva Bhaiyasi, as he continued. It was through the kindness of the Venerable Kumara Kassapa that I was finally able to free myself by abandoning those evil and unwholesome wrong views and opinions. Hmm. And where is your faithful friend, the young Brahmin Uttara, reborn now? Uttara, sir who had objected to me for making offerings of refuse food and clothing and challenged my position of heart in making gifts to the needy and had instead offered choice food and clothing to the people with his own hands, thoughtfully and with the purity of intention in his heart, when the time came and his body broke down after death, was reborn in a bright and happy world, in the company of the 33 gods, in the Tavatinsa, heaven. Bante. Although I had offered gifts, I had done so neither through engaging in the act of giving by offering the gifts myself with my own hands, nor offered them with the purity of intention. But did so only thoughtlessly and without consideration, as I sought the gains from giving away things that I knew in my heart I did not care for nor valued myself, giving so-called gifts that were to be discarded. And when the time came and my, mo- and my body broke down, after death, I was reborn into the company of the four great kings, here in this empty mansion of the Acacias. But the young Brahmin Uttara, with his own hands, thoughtfully and with the purity of intention in his heart, after his death, was reborn into the bright and happy world, in the company of the 33 gods, in the Tavatinsa heaven. Later, on his return to the world of humans, the Venerable Gavampati recounted to all what he had seen and heard from Prince Pāyāsī, the Deva. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Beautiful sutta. Beautiful sutta, beautiful sutta. Um, I uh, do encourage you to, it's a long one, to listen to it, to read it. You have copies of it, uh, the PDF. And uh, I also uploaded Uh, one on the pdf version on on the website uh, my website because it's such a there's so much as you see jewels there, so many jewels as far as the importance of making offerings um, to individuals with wholeheartedly and giving the best Um, as i was translating this sutta and i came to this portion where uh, Deva, the Deva Pai, he was recounting to Venerable Gavampati as to why and how he ended up uh, making offerings without his hands and things like that and giving the poor quality, you know, things that he wouldn't even touch. Um, I immediately recalled a recent incident that had happened to me where I was invited by. Um, uh, a couple and uh to uh, well the wife i would i was invited to go to their home and um and uh, as i was leaving they said please uh um, here are the uh large uh fruits uh i won't name the fruits <laughs> because uh, i want to keep keep it uh, you know as anonymous as possible uh, But uh, the thing that I wanted to mention this for is, the wife, uh, the spouse of this uh, man, uh, whose house I had visited, uh, they showed me around and they said, lovely, you know, uh, gave blessings and things. The wife had asked me to have the biggest fruits from this good tree, she said. Go this this tree is the one that I would like you to have the fruits of so um, the bag was filled uh, well, you know enough fruits, not too much, not too little and she insisted that I get more and I said this is enough. And. um, The husband didn't know that the wife had intended for me to get the fruits from this tree. Uh, so he stood there at the far end of the field at that point, And I was about to leave anyhow. So I was on my way out. So he stood there and he looked somewhat perplexed. And I paused to see if he was, uh, he wanted to say something, but he didn't say, so he, he, he left. He got in his car and he left. Now, a week or so later, I met him again. And uh, the man, and he mentioned how Uh, In, you know, he sandwiched, we call this is a term that we use in clinical therapy, he sandwiched his main intention through different words, as he said, conveyed to me in clear ways, I would say, how he would have rather had me pick up or be given the fruits that were not to be sold. And when I asked, what did you mean by that, what does that mean? Because his wife offered those fruits, the bag of fruits. And he said, no, no, I go ahead and sell those at various places from this tree and other trees. And those are good quality fruits. I offer those and I actually sell those and make money. And mind you, he's a very wealthy person. So so he doesn't need the money. Uh, So I said, you know, that's, you know, I didn't say anything as a big, I didn't even ask you, you're not even supposed to ask, uh, so he said, next time I will bring you the other kinds of fruits, and um, I said, as you wish, and then the next time, the third time I saw him, he brought me a bag of fruits that were clearly uh, bruised, damaged, picked up from the ground, and um, I tried, seeing if the fruits are actually edible, and I had to toss, um, toss them away, actually. They were so bad. So I was thinking about that incident because the beauty of the generous attitude of the wife stood out because she made it a point that for Bonte it needs to be those. And that was from her heart. She might have offered me nothing, or she might have offered me the bruised up fruits, but she would have offered me with pure intention and that still would be a good offering. But to play like, you know, bargaining type of a thing, even in the dana portion of it, I didn't need any of those things. So there was this ugliness that was introduced, which takes away um, from the beauty of the act of generosity. So, the wife definitely uh, is getting some very (laughs) uh, good karmic vipakas because of her intention and of the quality of the things that she offered, uh, versus the husband in this example, which happened to me. So I wanted to share that because these things do happen, these are not stories uh, hidden in some texts somewhere that are not related to our lives, And you see this also in people make donations. Writing a check, they just wanna write the check or send that credit card information as soon as possible because they feel uncomfortable, uneasy because they saw something on TV so that they can feel good that they've done something. It's still not as pure as it could be when they sit, ponder as to why I'm giving this. Is it a pressure? Pressure release type of a thing. Because oftentimes that's what happens. We just want to, okay, just take it, take the money and go. <sighs> I feel good. I've done something. Well, I could have done different things too. It doesn't have to be money. There's different ways of doing things. This Prince Piasi did not even bother to come downstairs from his terrace and really experience what Uttara was experiencing every time he handed a bowl of soup to someone. It's beautiful when we do something to someone else who especially is in need. So I wanted to share that um, um, afterthought uh, um, for the sutta, but I, I will stop here because it's been two hours and I will have some water, and I would love to hear your thoughts, comments on the sutta uh, and the practice, of course, if there are any. There haven't been that many um, um, individuals who have talked about this sutta. Uh, even though it's, it's amazingly uh, rich with things, with the rebuttals against people who come in and say, well, I don't believe in common, I don't believe in rebirth, oh, well, here you go. Very down-to-earth, very simple to explain similes. And you don't have to prove it anyhow, if for, if for you, if it's true or not, uh, or for, for someone else, you know, to believe it or not, that is... Um, but it is a wealth of information that is found in this sutta. Okay, so if there are no, was there a hand? No, check, no. All right, so let us share some ads. And in case there are, uh, was there a question, Greg? Oh, oh, (laughs) my mistake. Uh, let us uh, share some merits, and in case if there might be some questions, please uh, um, uh, um, send a, a, uh, an individual email, and you're welcome, Peggy, uh, I see your note here. May suffering ones be suffering free and the fear struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief and may all beings find health relief. May all beings share in these merits that we have thus acquired for the acquisition of all kinds of wholesome happiness. May beings inhabiting space and earth, devas and nagas of mighty power share in these merits of ours. May they long protect the Buddha's dispensation. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Be well. May the triple jam bless you and your loved ones and protect you. And uh, as I was saying earlier, be generous with your awareness. We have to practice dana first towards ourselves, you know. And that, that, that doesn't mean necessarily to sleep in three, four hours extra, or even five minutes. When you know those five minutes, you can actually utilize in a very healthy way by being mindful, even in bed. Mindful of your breath, mindful of your thoughts for five, those five minutes, and then get out. Uh, so be creative and fun-loving with your practice. Make the Dhamma alive. Bring it to life in your life. So until next week, uh, may the triple gems blessings be upon you. Take care. Sukhi Voto.